Welcome to episode 290 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by NCR's Middle East and North Africa correspondent, Reem Abuleil. Reem, do you have anywhere else you want to expand your empire to while we have you here for your coverage? <laughs> uh, I'm very happy with Middle East and North Africa. Thank you very much. That's good. That's a good, it's a good start for any, for any empire building. It's a good stretch of, stretch of land. Yeah, it's a lot roomier space than segue a lot of players have currently in melbourne being stuck in their rooms for 14 days during this hard quarantine uh, which has really been the obviously the dominant story of tennis and a huge news story in australia too for the past week or so seeing how the players are dealing with this how some are complaining some are not complaining obviously the complaints getting more attention it's been really interesting just sort of seeing i think i'll start with this just sort of the amount of sort of anger and resentment towards the players in uh, Australia, I think that I have, I can't remember a moment where tennis players felt so like embattled. And I'll just say, I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. Like I was working on one of the, a story I'm working on for an Australian publication that's coming out in a couple days, messaging a lot of players and stuff and way more of them than usual were like, I'm afraid to talk because I feel like if I say anything, the people are going to get mad at me. And there's so much anger out there right now in the public and in the media here that I just don't want to say anything. It's just interesting to see tennis sort of under fire like this. I'm wondering what how you've seen it. It's funny because I've also had a similar experience with the players, but I I I saw how it shifted. I I had there was a period in the very beginning when the players landed in in Melbourne and then they found out that they have to be in hard quarantine for 14 days. Uh, they were angry and they wanted to lash out and everybody wanted to talk. Okay. Yeah. Like everybody wanted to talk. Everyone was going on social. People were like going back and forth on social. And then a couple of days later, because of the backlash, they start, the tone shifted and everyone's like, no, I don't want to talk. And so it, 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 it was a very uh, extreme shift, I would say over literally less than a 48 hour period. It's, it's interesting because the players usually, well, let's just say a lot of the players have been out of touch in general, like throughout this entire thing. It's, it's been like, why are they so out of touch? And, and I feel like this is a bit of a wake up call because they're kind of forced to try to, to look at things from a different angle. I'm not sure they get it. A lot of them, when I speak with them, still feel that they're being unfairly judged and, and they keep saying, well, the public don't get it. The public don't get it. But I think because it's every, like the public is basically hammering down the, the idea of how out of touch they are. I feel like they're going to get through to them. But yeah, you're right. They are, everyone is a bit more hesitant right now to speak. Yeah. And then that kind of was what I was, my sort of hopeful conclusion of a piece I wrote for Sydney Morning Herald about this, about like, I do think that tennis players are not, and I think Australians, didn't really appreciate this before, which fair enough. But like, I don't Australia. I don't think tennis players had much idea at all about just how different things were in Australia compared to the rest of the world, and just how unique their approach has been, and how uniquely strict it's been, and also most importantly, how uniquely successful it's been. Right? That they really don't. That COVID is not something people worry about anymore in their day to day lives, which is such a huge contrast from most everywhere else in the world. And so, 
seeing that, I think that takes some getting used to the adjusting to the sort of culture clash. And I do think that, you know, spending 14 days inside thinking about it is plenty of time to sort of come to grips and to realize that things are, things are different. And I do, I do think that that time will prove educational, you know, they can, they can learn from this. They can read more about it or at least understand more what's going on. And then, yeah, the, one of the good things about this, the, this setup they have in Australia is once you serve your time, so to speak, then you're free to go. You, you are out in the world. It's not like the US Open where you could never leave the, you know, the closed loop of the hotel and the tournament, even if you could get more immediate freedoms right away in terms of not being stuck in your room for two weeks upon arrival. But, you know, they'll have full privileges and rights like any other sort of Australian local. They can go to restaurants, they can go to movies, they can go to the beach, they can do whatever the heck they want once they're, once they're out. Well, I was talking to a friend the other day and it's something that we spotted on Twitter unfortunately we don't remember who wrote this on Twitter so I'm sorry for not giving full credit to that person but it was well articulated in the sense of the US Open bubble was and and any bubble the the players have been in since the tour restarted has always been in places where there's covid right so the the idea of the bubble was kind of to protect the players, not to protect the public right. uh, from the players, right? So the that that is a kind of thinking that the players are uh, can accept, right? It's it's for our safety. We don't want to get COVID. We don't want our chances to play this tournament to go away. The the world out there has COVID. In our bubble we don't have COVID, right? That's the kind of the logic. Yeah. Whereas the Oz open bubble is the exact opposite, right? They're in a strict quarantine right now so that they don't transmit the virus to others. And I think that that kind of switch is not an easy, it, it, it's not what they're used to, right? Like they've been doing something for six months or whatever, less for four months, and now it's different. So that was also, I found that interesting in the, in, in the fact that, yes, it's not the same, it's not exactly the same as what they've been doing. It's very different to what they've been doing. It's totally inverted. But yeah. It's totally inverted and, 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 we know how the players deal with things that are different, right? Like it's not always something they, it's not easy for them to accept it right away. They, they eventually do adapt and eventually, I mean, we've seen, we've seen very good tennis when the tour restarted, which we were not sure we were going to see, right? Because of conditions, because of all that. So they do ultimately adapt. We saw Rafa Nadal complain for two weeks in Paris about the weather and then win it like just he did every single year. So mm-hmm. they adapt. But yeah, I still feel they don't get it at the moment. But like you said, they have 14 days to think this over. I Talking about the sort of complaints and how they came, you know, out right away or how people like even like Cornet, who I don't think said anything that bad, honestly, how quickly and thoroughly she got dragged by the public. And obviously Putin Seva with her, you know, we need fresh air protest sign and other people who've and obviously the whole Batista Agut situation, which is which is wild. Whatever happened with that footage is is like one of my favorite mini mysteries of this thing. I would love to do a deep dive on that. I am one hundred percent convinced that he had no idea he was getting filmed. But anyway. I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, we can do a sidebar on that. Well, we can talk about it now. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll say that for another time. But Reem, you and I did several episodes last year, sort of you know ripping tennis players for being insensitive for being irresponsible during the pandemic obviously Zverev repeatedly in this conversation Djokovic a little bit too but i don't know something about the way the public turned on the players so quickly and so harshly in australia had me feeling a little bit bad for the players or or maybe they felt to me a little bit misunderstood and it sort of 
makes me and I and I understand fully where the public in Australia is coming from, right? They did these super hard, especially in Melbourne, they did super hard lockdowns. They eradicated COVID without the vaccine, just through sheer force of of willpower and and community action and togetherness and unity and sacrifice in a way that was really tough. And it has them feeling, I think, sort of justifiably, and it's not usually a positive term, but like justifiably like self-righteous about it. Like we did all this work you know, we did this, you know, who are you to come here suddenly and just, you know, poo-poo our things? Like, don't you know how much we've done for this? You're so ungrateful. And I think all that, I understand where all that comes from. At the same time, I think the tennis players came in there being offered a very different expectation um, from the tournament, just from having also, and I think also it's important that this is not their first tournament back. I don't think a lot of them appreciated this inversion that you talked about, right, where they they no longer are the special people now they're the bottom of the of the tier or the, or the sort of the lepers now who have to be treated differently. I don't think they appreciated that flip. I don't think that was communicated to them uh, well, uh, clearly because they didn't get it. And so, yeah, I I don't know. I just I just felt myself thinking like, hey, you know, these tennis players, they just trained for you know eight ten weeks really hard in the off season to get in peak physical shape for the season, especially the Australian part of the season. And now suddenly they get, you know, to Australia and through no fault of their own, someone on their own, on their flight, test positive, And they have to sit in a room for two weeks and watch their muscles atrophy and all their peak fitness and everything go away. Like that's legitimately frustrating for them as, as competitors, as people who put in a lot of work. And I just felt like anytime they tried to, you know, do any sort of bemoaning of that there was no tolerance for it at all and i get that but i also just think that like empathy can be for all sorts of things right like i had a situation and also empathy <laughs> and the inverse of that or the the cousin of that complaining can be for lots of people right like i think kind of to complain is to sort of be human on some level to think like oh i want things to be better i you know like the other day at Starbucks, I was picking up coffee with my, with my, you know, people were in time, I picked up like four cups of coffee and they only had one tray left to put the cups on to take them away. And they gave me such a hard time about wanting the tray. I was, they were like, if you, you know, take this tray, there won't be anybody for the next person that's four cups. They were like trying to guilt me into not taking the tray. I was like, I don't have four hands. I have no other way of doing this. Why are you trying to be giving me a hard time at the tray? And I was complaining about this interaction with the barista for the rest of the day while people are dying in the world and things like that. But for me, this like weird barista change was still annoying and I still felt entitled to complain about it. I don't know. I just, I just. Look, we, listen, we complain a lot. We complain, you and I complain a lot. We complain a lot on this podcast. We complain a lot not on this podcast. Yeah. So we we are not above complaining. And I am not, I am of a huge complainer and I'm not proud of it. But <laughs> let me break down some of the things you said. First of all, the first thing you were saying was about the public uh, and how they came at uh, the Aussie public and how they came at the players. I think that no matter how how much I've read about the situation in Australia, I cannot judge how they feel there because I was not put into a hard lockdown almost at all throughout since the pandemic started. Because even in the UAE, Dubai went into a hard lockdown where they couldn't even leave their apartments and stuff. I was in Abu Dhabi. I could walk outside 
just for a walk and stuff like that. I could go to supermarkets. Like, I didn't live in a hard lockdown anywhere. Even when I went to Cairo, I imposed it on myself, but no one imposed it on me. Okay. That's true. Yeah, I did the same thing. Self-imposed. Exactly. Uh, So I cannot imagine what it's been like since March for people in Australia. Like when I would speak to, to any of our Australian friends, it's not easy for me to understand what it means for them that they have one case and they're they're still in lockdown and they can only get one hour outside and they can see one person during working out for one hour outside or whatever. I cannot understand um, the idea of not being able to go to a different city. I mean, I'll tell you something. I'm in the Abu Dhabi at the moment. I was in Dubai last week. Move The movement between Dubai and Abu Dhabi is restricted in the fact that there's a border between both Emirates. It's fine to go into Dubai. It's not fine to go into Abu Dhabi without a negative test, okay? And because the two cities are literally 40 minutes away and people commute every day, it's become an issue for commuters, right? Mm -hmm. I don't even need to commute every day. I only go to Dubai for radio and some stuff. Like, I don't need to go. Um, But I found it frustrating, just the fact that I'm trying to find the right time to cross the border when there isn't that much traffic. So I actually came at midnight on Thursday yeah. last week. And it's and I've actually been in my room for a week since I got here. I had to get tested today, uh, yesterday, uh, because Abu Dhabi has rules on when you come in from Dubai, you have to get tested on day six and day 12. Now they changed it on day four and day eight. All of what I'm saying is I'm frustrated just by that, okay? And that's nothing. That's not really affecting my life. I can still live my life. So I can't imagine what it's been like for Australians. So I cannot judge their agitation or the level of their agitation or the reaction uh, that I really can't. And I think that everyone really sentiments are very heightened at the moment on online in every single way, right? Like you say one thing and everybody comes at you. And I guess this is all built up frustration from this past year, you know? So I, I, I cannot judge the reaction from Australians because I have not lived through that. But also, like you said, you, it's understandable for the players to complain. I only, my, I would put a caveat there and say, honestly, tone makes a huge difference. Nuance makes a huge difference. Yeah. The whole, we're not complaining, but, and then complaining. That's just stupid. I'm sorry. That doesn't make any sense. If you have a ma, ma, a mouse in your room or multiple mice, <laughs> that's, a, and you're stuck in that room, that is a legitimate gripe. Like that is yeah. something that, is is bad it's unsanitary like it's it's you're not gonna sleep like it's bad and you're stuck in that room you're not even allowed to get out of the room so that is legitimate but if you're getting a hundred dollar voucher every day that you can use to order food online if you don't like what you're getting they are given three different delivery options like Deliveroo, uber eats and a third one i don't know something called menu log or something and you get a hundred dollar voucher and you keep taking pictures of your food saying it's bad. That is a problem. That, that for me is unac- that is unacceptable. So I don't put all the complaints in one basket. I, I care about nuance. I respect what Corne did. She said the word insane and that's why people got pissed off at. And she apologized and her apology did not give any excuses. Yeah. And she was like, listen, I, I obviously hurt you guys. It was poor from my part. I deleted the tweet. I take it back. 
I know a lot of players who are still pissed and still want to complain are just scared because they don't want people to come at them. The situation is bad in the sense of nobody wants to put themselves in anyone else's shoes, right? Like, that's how it is at the moment. So nuance makes a difference. I am not an athlete. I don't know what 14 days in the room will do after they've been they've been like training for like three months. So they're in very good shape. But I don't know what these two weeks will do to them. But they do have nine days before the Australian Open. Uh, people yeah. are going to tell me ATP Cup, WTA 500, blah, blah, blah. Honestly, whoever doesn't want to play that tournament, don't play that tournament. Focus on the Australian Open. You're going to make at least $100,000 in the first round, Australian dollars. And you know what? Like, either play the tournament or not. I asked some of the fitness trainers of players, like, would you advise them to play or not play the, the week before Oz after they come out of hard quarantine? I was surprised that a lot of them said, no, we're going to play. We're going to ask the players to play, but kind of use it as a practice. Yeah. So, again, I cannot weigh in on that part, but it's not like they're leaving the room and going straight to play the Australian Open. They have nine days. Does it suck? It sucks. It sucks. A hundred percent it sucks. But also, like what Dominic Team said in the interview with Tumani Cariol in The Guardian, he said, this is a risk that you take now every time you get on a plane. And he's got on many planes. Dominic oh God, Team yeah. has, has, <laughs> has been on every single possible plane since <laughs> the pandemic started. Um, and, and it, it's true. It is a risk. And even I tell myself, like every time I've, I'm, I'm crossing that border, I can catch the virus in Dubai and not be able to come back to Abu Dhabi where I'm staying. And that is a risk that I, I, I weigh it in my head. Is it worth going doing this radio shift? Is it worth going meeting this player for an interview? Is it safer to do it online? And that's why 99% of my interviews have been done online. Even though they're with people who are with me in the same city, yeah. right? But if I, I keep thinking, why should I risk it? For them? For me? So it's, at the end of the day, it's my choice. It's my decision. And it's their choice as well. In terms of the, I want to, another thing that you mentioned was the communication, right? Like, how well were these conditions communicated to the players? Yeah. What we can see is that the, the information was communicated, but there has been confusion because some of the players didn't join all the calls. Some of the players didn't see, ever, or one person heard this call, but didn't know, that, because they're, listen, let's face it, things are changing every single day, right? Government rules are changing every single day. Literally, yeah. when I crossed the border last Thursday, the rule was that I have to get attested on my sixth day in Abu Dhabi. Now, as we speak, the rule is on my fourth day. Okay, so it, things change overnight. Okay, so if these players, some of them got on a call, and on that call, it was mentioned that you can get on the flight and someone can test positive, but you're not going to be in hard quarantine if there wasn't close contact. And then the, the call after that, it had something different. It's on them to get the information. It's on their agents to get the information for them. Honestly, especially with something as volatile as this, something that's changing all the time. So I, I don't, I don't think that Tennis Australia did a bad job in terms of sending the information because I've asked the players to send me all the information they got. They got a lot of information. There were calls and there were emails and there were so many PDFs that I've read every single one. Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, I think I, don't I think touched anyone's... on everything you said. Yeah, you covered a lot there. I think I don't know if it's so much that they didn't get all the information. I think the information, especially the part about the the risk of the hard quarantine, if there were any positive tests on the flight, was maybe a bit buried in in this mountain of communication that they got potentially. And also, it's also possible that Tennis Australia didn't know what verdict the Victoria Health authorities were going to render once you know a positive test came in and they couldn't they couldn't know for sure if it was going to be if ten, if those that other governmental body was going to go by the um the zone system on the plane or not obviously the first flight no, but, they, um, but that's what they said ben they, that's what tennis australia said and that's what also arts and sitak said and not just him like other players said that, said, right, said that I, as I, well I, is that they said we don't know it's not going to be up to us it's going to be up to the health department. I get that Artem Sitek, like, and very, he was very early on this too, and he like put it out there, and I completely believe and agree with everything he said. However, I just think the fact that so many players were caught off guard by this shows that the communication could have been better, because communication is a two way street, right? Even if you do everything, and this this is like a not a dissimilar situation to. Um, and there's a tennis player reading emails, like the Sharapova discussion, right? When she tested positive for meldonium when she and her team didn't pick up on the fact that there was a change in the banned substance list that made this previously allowed substance switch to being illegal on January 1st of 2016, back when that rule change came. Like, I think it's like that where, yes, is it her responsibility to um, to read these things and do her due diligence and her agent too, who in this case was charged with doing that particular task? Yes, could they have done a more overt job of making it clear to people who were taking this that because so many people did test positive in early 2016? Yes, they also. I think just communication goes both ways. It's my, it's my. Thought no, but there. yes, but this situation it, 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 right now they had a month, which is basically all of December, where there was so much back and forth and things were changing all the time. This is one of the important things to ask about and look at, look out for. This isn't something that maybe was going to be communicated or maybe not kind of like, oh, this drug was added to a list or not. We're not sure. This is something that's not necessarily going to happen every year. Whereas this is literally you have a month where you're planning something. And if this is that important to you, that's my, that's actually for me. The main point is if you were, were any of these players not going to go to Australia, if they knew this rule beforehand, I bet you most of them would have gone. Okay, the play, all the players who are saying we wouldn't have gotten on that plane if we knew about this rule. I don't believe half of them, more mm. than half. I genuinely don't believe it because they are so desperate to play and they're so desperate to play in big money events. There's only four of these in the year. Okay. Yeah. So honestly, I don't believe them, but they are they are holding on to this. When if they cared this much about this, this is the first question. Honestly, if if it's me, this is literally the first question I ask on the call. I would be like, what happens if someone tests positive on my team? What happens if someone tests positive on my flight? What happens if well, every single type of that? If, the, if this is something I care about, I will ask. And I'm sorry, if they are this pissed off about it and they care about it that much, how the hell did they not ask about it? So that's, that's all fair. That's so all yeah, fair. that 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 for me, in, in that sense, does it suck? Yes, it sucks because they feel they didn't do anything wrong, and yet they are in this situation. But again, 
These are the parameters they are given. And this also does not mean that they cannot play the tournament. Yes, they cannot play in peak conditions. I think their main complaint right now, the way they phrased it, especially the, the WTA players, is that they feel that it is unfair. That is their thing. They're like, we need either everybody practices or nobody practices. But that is also not a practical uh, solution. Mm. I don't think that you can tell the other players who weren't on planes that had COVID-positive cases, uh, you can't tell them not to practice. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make... It also doesn't seem fair. Either way, it's not fair. Either way, it's a pandemic and nothing is fair. One thing which has been getting a lot of discussion among the players, which we haven't touched on really at all so far here, uh, particularly among men's players, I know they're really upset about this as a sort of group, is this split um, between Melbourne and Adelaide uh, in where the a handful of top players, I think just three men and three women, and then their practice partners also um, got sent on a different itinerary completely going to, and it was sort of mandatory itinerary too. I don't, they didn't really have a choice about it because I do believe what Djokovic said that he wanted to opt out of the Adelaide option. They were like, you have to go to Adelaide. Um, Djokovic, Nadal and team and for the men and then Serena Halep and Osaka for the women and plus their practice partners, which is like Nadal's brought Yannick Sinner Djokovic brought uh, uh, Krajinovic, I believe, and I guess team brought Dennis Novak. Is that right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure it was the team, but yeah, Serena has Venus. Serena has Venus. I'm I'm not sure the others. I know know Osaka didn't bring a practice partner. I know that. Anyway, this brought in a lot of attention on the sort of different treatment for stars in tennis, which obviously tennis players are aware of, but this time there's a literal... You know, in the gap of treatment, this time there's a literal like 700 kilometer gap between these two cities and they're on very different places. It's very visible. Is this uh, a fair thing to complain about? Because I guess the players in Adelaide uh, were allowed to go on court much quicker. Uh, they seem to have a bit more access to the courts, a bit more flexibility when they can schedule, things like that. Um, not that much more time. They still have to spend 19 hours a day or so in their apartments or whatever setup they have for their, their quarantine there, but they could bring more people. Um, one thing before I hand it over to you for your thoughts, I was talking to Danny Valverde for one of the other articles that are coming up and this didn't make it in the article, but one thing he said that was interesting, I thought is that he said as much as Adelaide has, you know, more space and more room and more whatever, like there's a couple of downsides to it in that you're not on the Melbourne park courts the whole time. So there will be some adjusting potentially to conditions, which they're probably not that different, but it is still, you know, some advantage to be practicing on the same site the whole time. And the other thing was in Adelaide, you don't get to pit with as many people because you just have, you're with your one practice partner the whole time. Whereas in Melbourne, you could expand after I think five, after your first set of practices, your group of people in your sort of pod goes from one partner to I think three people in your group. So you hit with more more than one person. After the week, it's your yeah. first week. You have one person, right. and then the second week. But in Adelaide, have... you're with the same person the whole time. So that's the minor you know thing maybe, but. That was one other thing Danny pointed out, which I which is sort of on the sort of counter to the the notion that Adelaide is, is better. But what do you what do you think of this? And yeah, it just it just seems to get and because there's some really good players who 
you know, I think what makes it so striking is that it's such a clear line drawn, right? Like we're used to star players getting things like more practice court time, more time practicing, especially on the main stadium courts, you know, other sort of preferential things where they could decide when their matches are, they can request to play a night match or a day match or have a day off or whatever. And tournaments will bend to those things. But here it's very much, if you're top three in whatever metric they use, because Serena's not top three in the rankings, but if you're top one of the top three stars, you're going to Adelaide here and sorry, you know, other great players like Azarenka, Kenan, Wawrinka, who didn't make this Adelaide uh, cut for whatever reason. Yeah. Just, what, what do you make of, of this, of this Adelaide Melbourne discussion? I think that many things didn't help the situation. Initially, Craig Tiley had said that the, the reason there are players go, that are going to Adelaide is that they hit the quota of the number of people who can be in quarantine in Melbourne. So they needed another quarantine city. So they went to South Australia and said, Hey, Adelaide, can you take 50 people? And then Adelaide said, no, we don't know what's in it for us. And then eventually they settled on, okay, let's bring three stars from each tour uh, and we play an exhibition for you in exchange for you letting us have these people come and quarantine in Adelaide. So that was the the whole story initially. You can't say that in the beginning and then say, oh, the, the recent quote from Craig Tiley saying that, oh, they're stars and that's what stars always get preferential treatment or whatever. Yeah. Because that's not what he said in the beginning. And and PR 101, dude, stick to your story because the first one was much better than the second one. <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, seriously, why would you do that? That's one thing. Another thing is it didn't help obviously because of the 74 players that are in hard quarantine in Melbourne. So it doesn't help when you, you have that and you have mice in rooms and stuff and people fe- feeling that they're not getting the food they want, etc. And also there was an issue, we must add that that's one of the bigger problems also in Melbourne, is that even the people who could go and practice had their practices, many of them had their practices cancelled for the first several days or at least two days. And the reason was that apparently... Uh, there was a log- it was a logistical nightmare because apparently it's the the government the Victorian government that that is uh, handling the transports of the players to and from their hotels and the and the club the dance club so people the players were waiting in the rooms to get picked up and they were not getting picked up so they didn't even know beforehand that their practice was getting cancelled they're yeah. just waiting in their rooms and they're not allowed to even leave the room so they're waiting there and no one's picking them up so when you're in this situation and suddenly you see that. Osaka has been hitting on court for several days. I this is bad on every level. I'm, I actually find this as the the worst part of all of this. If you feel that you can't, you you have a right to practice and you can't even go to practice, and then you find someone already on court with their entire team, that sucks. Which is why they had the rule about Adelaide players not telling them not to post on social media about all their practices and other stuff. You know what? You have first of all, Novak. Ha- the fact that Novak has a balcony and Venus is cooking must kill the players in Melbourne, honestly, because they can't even open a window. So, like, if you can't open a window and you feel that you 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 also you can't order food after ten p.m., which a lot of the players apparently struggled with. Also, I have to say in uh, Melbourne. So, if you have these kind of restrictions, and then you find Venus making an entire story on her instagram cooking she has a kitchen yeah she has a kitchen in her suite that's not great even like benito rafa's media manager he posted a photo of his room on his instagram 
The room is massive, like ma way bigger than those Hyatt rooms or Pullman or any of these rooms. Like, it's not great. I think that's the biggest issue. If the reason was what Craig Tiley had said in the beginning, fine. You know what? That exhibition is probably going to bring some money to Tennis Australia and they've already spent an insane amount of money on the quarantine rooms and the charter flights and, and, and. Okay, so if this is going to, if it was also put as something, you know what, this is going to generate, this exhibition is going to generate some money that will help fund all of this. It's all about how you phrase your, you know, like how, how you articulate your intentions, as Novak would say. It's all about intentions. But uh, you can't then go and say, oh, this is, this is life. This is professional sport. Like, if you're a star, you get preferential treatment. Don't say that yeah. because there are other stars who aren't there. Speaking of Adelaide, one of the other Adelaide things that got attention was Novak Djokovic, who was there. And as I think I mentioned earlier, Djokovic had told the players in the player group chat back in December that he had wanted to opt out of the Adelaide thing and wanted to be with them in solidarity in, in Melbourne, but didn't have the choice. Uh, so Charlie basically said, you're you're going to Adelaide and you don't really have to say in the matter, which I do believe uh, they didn't give him an, an opt out of that. And then Djokovic got dragged in the in the media for what was framed by them as sort of a list of demands that he that he had given to the tournament that included things like better food more equipment so that part i think was considered okay but then also moving them to houses with courts that was the one that got the most was yeah moving them to private houses that have tennis courts attached and then also you know reducing the number of days of quarantine letting them visit with their coaches and stuff Djokovic you know, put out a, a message, an eight screenshot notes at message, eight screenshots of notes yesterday. It reminds me of when I send you my list of words on, because <laughs> I play I, I play the spelling bee on my phone and you play it on your computer, I think. Yeah, so mm -hmm. we have different views. So <laughs> I always feel so stupid sending you a million screenshots of my list. <laughs> and when I... S <laughs> yeah, I do it some on my phone. I do it on the web, on the web browser of the phone, though, because it doesn't show up in my crossword app for whatever reason. But Djokovic, in his in his thing, in his, in his note, which was full of sort of self-pity, said, My good intentions for my fellow competitors in Melbourne have been misconstrued as being selfish, difficult, and ungrateful. And I do think that he's right. I mean, as much as this, the, the tone of the letter was very much like, woe is me, I just try to do a good thing, and y'all are trampling all over me and i love that the letter was also addressed to australia it was australia was the sort of you know subject of, or addressee of the letter i do think that djokovic means well in this situation but it's just sort of kind of classic djokovic and that he just sort of winds up not executing things the, the house request was ridiculous like that was just never going to happen right to find private houses for players and to break them out of the hotel system that wasn't going to happen so yeah, I don't know. The backlash she got was both a little bit unfortunate and also completely predictable. Yeah, look, I'm looking at it from different angles again. I think that he definitely meant well. And I think that he's trying to follow through on his his whole his whole mission at the moment is is he wants to be the person who's sticking up for the other players, right? Yeah. Like that's his that's his thing. And obviously the players also feel entitled to that because, or not entitled, they want that because we just saw the, the quotes from Guido Perla who was saying that unless someone with clout speaks on our behalf, nobody cares, right? Yeah. And that wasn't just Perla. There are other players who I've spoken to who yeah. have told me the same thing. They're yeah. like, we're, we're appreciative that Novak did that because we need someone uh, to, uh, someone who matters basically to talk on our behalf. So they, the players feel that they don't matter. And, and Novak is doing that for them. So like helping them with that. 
the problem is again it was like the he didn't read the room at all like he he didn't i don't know when that first of all it's an email that we didn't read right we only saw the list as far as i can tell has anyone yeah. seen the actual it was like, reported in marca from... i think was the one who sort of made it public yeah exactly so so i i read the list in spanish and then it was translated and basically i did i don't know what the email is because Again, I think context matters here because the way Novak explained it later, he was like, we were brainstorming ideas. I was literally just jotting down ideas. It matters what was at the top of that email, right? We, we demand this, we request this, or listen, we're desperate here. Let's Here's try and ideas. think of some yeah. ideas. Here are some ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't think it was a bad move on his part in terms of just him trying to help. Obviously, the email got leaked and maybe it was taken a little bit out of context, maybe not, who knows, and then it exploded. Yeah, I think, again, there is, I think it's a little bit the lack of understanding of how serious Australian government is taking the situation. Maybe also not understanding how much resentment there is uh, in, in Victoria towards the tournament. So I feel a little bad for him because... I know in this case he did mean well. And again, it was just phrased really badly. It was just, yeah. Yeah. And then there's also things that happen, like in that news clip I shared of the, you know, the nightly news in Australia, which led off with the tennis players, like just sort of dragging them throughout and making sure the thing. The players also get lumped in with like Vanessa Sierra, who is Tomic's girlfriend. And her, Tomic's girlfriend, let's be clear, is a like, I think she was, a contestant is that what they're called on love island like so she's a certain type of media personality right she's trying to do a certain thing out there and so to for the tennis players to get lumped in with her and her sort of level of absurdity i feel like was a rough break for the tennis players who were not yeah I who were totally not agree. so out of touch as to be publicly complaining about having to wash their own hair and when she does it in again in her sort of sphere i think it's just sort of like part of a cartoonish persona honestly yeah, yeah. just being like i'm I just agree. here to be ridiculous and i find it <laughs> I, I watched her whole vlog and i just found it kind of like weirdly endearing i thought it was sort of it was ridiculous but sort of also like sort of sweet i don't know the fact that you're the fact that she's devoted enough to tomic to travel to leave the safe zone of australia to go travel to doha for aussie qualifying and then come back into the i don't know i just i'm sort i'm sort of rooting for her <laughs> I, I found it fascinating that she kept saying, we have to yeah. play qualifying. We have to do this. And I'm like, girl, you don't need, have to do anything. <laughs> you can, you, you can be out of that room and do whatever the hell you want. I don't know why you're, why, why would she choose to go to Doha in a pandemic? Cause she supports a ridiculous man. No, but honestly, I, I couldn't, be, like, forget about all the ridiculousness of the hair and the whatever, uh, which which I actually felt a little bit bad for posting after I posted just because I was like, listen, she's harmless. Like, I don't care. Like, I shouldn't have posted that. But anyway, for me, it was just the fact that she, she she's so team Bernie that she's like, we have to do this. We have to do this. We have to eat this. We have to prepare for a tournament in the room. And I'm like, oh, wow. She actually thinks that she, like, yeah. I don't know. I, I She reminded me of Barty when Barty says we, 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 but she's referring to her and her team, except like, pretty sure. Anyway. She's ride or die. I, I was, I was into it. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. 
I just think, like, I'm just glad that Bernie has somebody looking out for him because he needs that in life. Yeah, I agreed. Agreed. That part, that part, I, I agree. Uh, so, it, it, listen, it's such an amusing vlog. Like, I did watch yeah. all of it. I'm not going to lie. I watched the whole thing. But yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just funny, like, sort of counterweight to, like, Sitsipas also did a vlog and, like, just seeing these two different voices and points of view on in the same hotel it's just funny speaking of that hotel a couple more things to wrap up one we're recording this on uh, i guess what is most for most players day seven of the quarantine a day on which paula bedosa confirmed that she had tested positive for the coronavirus after having played in abu dhabi which is on the abu dhabi flight she'd previously been in hard quarantine because there was a positive test on her flight and now on day seven it returns a positive test i don't have much to say about this except for that it really does validate the whole system, you know, to if somebody is potentially exposed to keep them sequestered. And actually, if anything, it I mean, it kind of makes you think like, why are they letting anybody go practice when there's still positive tests showing up on day seven? But yeah, that was, I just think that's a notable sort of proof of, of the system working. And hopefully Bedosa gets well and she's in, she apparently is feeling some symptoms and got sent to one of the sort of more hospital like hotels or health hotel, whatever they're calling them there um so yeah hope she's doing well but that was a a sign that players should know yeah that this is i feel like i feel like the whole incubation period thing has been lost on tennis players so frequently throughout this entire thing they're like well i have a positive test of course i you know sorry i have a, I have a, a negative test of course i should be able to get on any plan i want and do anything i want and whatever yeah, yeah i mean yeah i if they did need uh, another way to kind of understand what the incubation period is then this is an example I really hope she's going to be okay, and then, and I hope that doesn't like blow her AO chances. Just because, in general, people have taken some time to recover, just health wise. So, yeah. I hope for her sake it uh, doesn't last long. But yeah, I mean, the whole I tested negative yesterday and today and tomorrow. You know what? I've had three tests in the last two weeks. I I at no point have I felt that I don't have COVID. The entire time I get like just the sniffles and I'm like, shit, I have COVID. Like the whole time. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Like I, I was sick the last two days. I remember I messaged you. I told you I like, I have COVID symptoms, like blah, blah, blah. And I was freaking out. I got tested yesterday. I'm negative today. I still don't feel secure about anything <laughs> just yeah. because you never know when you got in contact with someone and you, you not, just never know this whole, that's the whole point of this whole stupid disease. Nobody knows much and it's weird. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. And then the last sort of thing I wanted to get to, that sort of more existential discussion about the tournament, is given the sort of difficulties the players are facing, right? Just in terms of just having to do the hard lockdown and a lot of way, and a lot of time sort of you know erode their offseason work and everything like that, and all the costs that was associated with paying for chartered flights and paying for hotel quarantines and paying for a hundred dollars a day worth of food plus the free food you get, was was this tournament a good idea? Was trying to hold the Australian Open in February of 2021, the right choice by Tennis Australia, or should they have either canceled this year's edition or postponed it to like December? And actually they could have done something because obviously the Australian Open back decades ago was a December event. And they could have even done something potentially like held the 2021 Australian Open in December and the 2022 Australian Open in January and sort of had back-to-back Australian Open. So that would have been kind of fun. But what what do you think of that? Like, what is was is all of this going to be worth it in the end? It just seems like so much work, so much money, so much time, so much risk, and so much sacrifice to do this. When I do think, and I've been you know I've been a pessimist about the pandemic for a long time, but I do think that like 
by September of this year, like enough of the world will be vaccinated, hopefully, that like things get kind of back to normal. And you would be able to do a relatively unfettered, regular, normal Grand Slam in a month like December 2021. What do you think? Was this is this pushing it to do this event? Was it too much it too depends. soon? It depends. What are you asking? Was it worth it for Tennis Australia? Or is it worth it for the players? Or is it worth it for tennis as a whole? Like, I kind of mean all of those. I kind of mean all of those. Like, it, whatever whatever angle you want to take it from, like, was, was doing this tournament now the right choice? Look, I think for the players... Even with the complaining, even with everything they're, they are going through, I think for them, once they play the slam, it's going to be worth it for them. I think it's for them having, having actually starting a year with a slam and earning that money. And I'm not talking top players. I'm talking the players who actually need this money. I think for them, it's worth it. Or they wouldn't have gotten on that plane. Like a good example is John, John Isner. For John Isner, for him... He's like, you know what? I want time with my family. I don't need to do this. Good on him for recognizing that. I do not blame him. That's fine. Okay. But like, if, if players got on the plane, then they want to play. Okay. So yeah, they went through some stuff. Maybe some of them might regret going, but for most of them, I think it's going to be worth it. So for that, that's from the player's perspective. Obviously, from Tennis Australia's perspective, I am baffled by the lengths that they went to, to stage this. The motivate, like, if you look at just the, the rhetoric in the, in the media from, from Greg Tiley, it's all about like, we want to prove to the world that Australia can be the cat, like the capital of events during this time and all of that, which they say that kind of stuff here in the UAE as well. But I don't know why you're saying stuff like that when you're going through like insane, you're going to crazy lengths to make this happen, right? So. Again, I I don't I don't know what's in it for them at the moment in terms of tennis Australia, but I feel like they're spending an insane amount of money. The paying for the flights and like what they charged seventeen different commercial seventeen flights, different it? flights. Yeah, seventeen is a lot. Like it's crazy and long money. flights too. That's not like paying for a, a plane from you know Dubai to I don't know Cairo to use your cities that's like like halfway around the world almost all these flights were like crossing a big ocean yes so chartering 17 flights from like la miami i don't know like because they had one from miami one from antalya right from the because there were tournaments there and then doha dubai singapore going just it's a logistical nightmare and it's even apparently a burden on the government as well, right? Because they're handling the transports, the transport during quarantine. Yeah. This is a massive operation. The testing, obviously, okay, with Australia, they're not really testing people uh, because they don't have COVID, right? So it's not like in Dubai, there was this issue during qualifying where the the person who was organizing the, the qualifying in Dubai told me it that the testing process for the the 128 players put a big strain on the on Dubai and just the medical system in Dubai because the numbers are are at a record high in the Emirate. So everyone is getting tested, and then they needed to dedicate and find a medical provider to come and do this, and that was difficult. I guess that's not a problem in Australia, but it was a problem on the city they chose to hold qualifying, right? Yeah. So even from that perspective, I, I, when she was telling me that, I was like, 
you're right. I can see the queues at the testing centers and I can only imagine what it's like having for that one week of qualifying, having everyone get tested and their coaches and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I feel like Tennis Australia ultimately might think that they really shouldn't have done this. But they're not going to admit it because I think that their whole, the whole thing has been like, we're heroes in a way. We're, we're pulling off the impossible and we're heroes and that kind of stuff. It's very difficult to imagine how they're going to make up the money for all of that. It's know. it's it's not dissimilar. I mean, the Tennis Australia mindset is not totally dissimilar from what the USTA mindset was towards the US Open. Both like we know this is although the US Open, I think, had a little bit more humility about it. They were more like, we know this is tough. But we think we can do it. We're going to work really hard to, to, to do it. But also, and I think the main question of is it worth it? The most important uh, sort of stakeholder in that question is going to be the Victorian government and the Victorian people. Right. And the Australian people, Australian government as well. Like, was this risk worth the reward of having a tennis tournament here, both you know, culturally having a, a fun big worldwide event and economically? Cause obviously, that's a big concern, although not that many fans are coming in from, you know, out of the city like normal. Normally, it's a huge international event that draws lots of tourism dollars, uh, the Australian Open. I can't imagine many fans are doing it this time or even allowed to with the you know the restrictions on arrivals they have and stuff like that and how expensive it would be. I can just tell you from like looking at uh, when one of my colleagues who's I think eventually got on one of the charter flights, I don't know how totally it worked, um, was looking at flights from L.A. to Melbourne. They were like fifteen thousand dollars for an economy ticket. Like they were real. They were really hard to come by tickets because um, the flights are so limited right now. Yeah. All that is to say and for people who don't know, that's like 10 times what it normally is. Usually it's like a, about two thousand dollar flight round trip, maybe a little less than that. Yeah, all that is to say, like, it's just if if and especially if something happens where tennis is the source of any sort of community spread in Victoria and they have to go back into lockdowns, then absolutely will have been the wrong. Oh, for choice. sure. And, 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 oh, and we're not, and we're not mean, out of the woods on that yet. And that's, that risk is still there. Yeah, obviously, my answer is assuming that there is no COVID spread. Right. Of yeah, course, yeah. 100% if yeah. there is, it's not worth it for anything. It's not, it's even bad for tennis because you can't be seen as, as, as a sport that's going around spreading COVID, which the risk is there, obviously. I just, I feel like I have faith in at least the system that they have in place. But like you said, like with the Paula Badosa positive test, you, you have players going to practice now. Well, that's why they have the cohorts. That's why they have, I don't know if you've seen videos from Sasha Bay and he's been showing the venue and they have every court has its own tent that has its own like uh, warm up area and cooling down area. So if you were practicing on a certain court, that's the tent you use. And obviously that's being san- sanitized all the yeah. time and stuff. So it, I feel like they're quite thorough from that standpoint. Yeah. And I really, really hope that they don't spread the virus there because yeah. I know. And all that stuff to, to go back to the money side of it briefly, like all that stuff costs so much money, like buying a nice exercise bike for every individual hotel room. That's expensive, you know, and the weights and the, the food and the everything. It's just, it's just, it's just so much, it's so much investment and so much time and so much money and everything. And again, I love Grand Slam tennis, I think their Grand Slams are great. I've loved the Australian Open as a fan, as a person being there. I think it's, an, I think it's tennis quality-wise often the best tournament because everyone comes in healthy and, and at peak fitness. And the conditions are usually pretty good. It's usually a good sort of court speed and everything. 
but yeah, all this to say, just like, even for that, I'm just like, I don't know. And I think that's a lot. That's also, I know is a very common feeling right now among Australians and among Melburnians. They're like, even the tennis fan ones are like, I don't know if this is worth it. There's a lot of second guessing and doubt of it right now. And so, and so we'll see maybe everything. One thing I also, I've also picked up about tennis. This will probably be the last thing I have to say about this, but like the last thing I have to say in the episode more or less than let you close. But Tennis always is at its worst or at its most dubious when tennis isn't being played, right? Like during the lockdown, we learned this very much. So like tennis players get in trouble, like Djokovic specifically to use an example, doing his, you know, Instagram lives with the health guru, water wizard and stuff. And, and even the Adria tour when there isn't like, when they're not reminding us what made them special as, as athletes, right? Like once the balls start, being hit in anger as the Brits say and there's and there's live tennis being played and matches being played maybe everything will feel worth it but for right now when when we're not seeing tennis being played we're not seeing the talents being showcased and whatever things therefore it's easier to sort of get uh upset or unimpressed or disappointed with with everything involved in it so maybe maybe once the tournament starts I will I will feel well but it's just yeah it's it's it's, it's just a lot it's it's just a it's a lot to go through for a tennis tournament or for a handful of tennis tournaments. Yeah. Look, I think from the player's perspective, I think what, what they're going through right now is kind of almost like a necessary reality check. And it's new. It's new to them. Like, just like we're all going through stuff that we haven't seen before. And, and this is new to them and how they react to that, I think will, will be very telling in terms of, is it, Look, if you ask me, I think we've said this more than once. We obviously make money when tennis is happening because this is our job as well. So obviously I am getting commissioned for a lot of work during the Australian Open, which is should obviously it's good for me. However, if you ask me personally, I would rather it not happen if there is a risk of of spreading the virus. That's that's my that's always going to be my call. Like, I'm never not going to say that. And especially now that everyone soon will be getting vaccinated, which means that it seems to be a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. So, yeah, I think I've said everything. I'm just going to repeat what I was saying. So, yeah, that's kind of just my point. Uh, and we'll see. I, I think that also the worst we've seen the worst. I feel like things now are going to start steadying a bit for because there was just a lot of controversy back in back to back days. There's just news. You would, I would wake up every morning and Australia seven hours ahead of me. And I would be like, Oh my God, all this happened while I was sleeping. It was like nonstop. And I feel that now it's just going to start slowing down. I think a lot of the players have accepted their situation. I think we're just going to see what's going to happen in the nine days leading up to the tournament when everybody is, is, is on site and stuff. And yeah, good luck to them. Well, Reem, you are always our light at the end of the tunnel, our light in the darkness. And thank you very much for being on here as well. Folks, if they don't already, should support Reem on Patreon, where she does lots of wonderful work. It's just a nice way to sort of send her your thanks for being just a fantastic NCR Middle East and North Africa correspondent and all the other great work she does around the world. So send your stuff to Reem, patreon.com slash And for NCR also, thank you guys for supporting NCR on Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. We have we thank our. I don't think there's any new people to thank this episode, but want to thank our normal people. I can do that real quick. They are 
uh, our Slam Champ backers who thank every episode, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Anna Valinder, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber, and our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J-O-D. Reem, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to chat and complain with you, whatever it may be. And, and this sort of, I wanted, to, I wanted to defend complaining. I feel like complaining is important to life. So hopefully people feel better about complaining now. And, you know, not being tone deaf, but still, you know, having the right to, to want, you know, nice things in our lives. That's all. And I hope that next time that you have to read that you're able to wash your hair um, by yourself. Because it's hard, but we can make it through together or, or on our own. <laughs> Thank you, Benjamin. Bye, guys.